0: you have your Bibles, find your way to Galatians chapter 5. We um, find ourselves actually in the, if you, if you care to know how long we've been here, this is the, the 15th week that we've looked at Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, and um, it doesn't feel like it's been that long to me, but um, but what happens typically when we see in, in Paul's writing is typically he starts with with doctrine, and he starts with, here's the the news of the gospel. Here's the, the truth of the gospel. These are the truth claims of scripture. Here's who God is. And then he follows that with practical application. He follows that with, here's the truth. Now here's how it affects your life. And so that's, kind of, that's where we find ourselves right now in this series, centered as we, we talk just about our identity in Christ, our identity in ourselves being centered on who Christ is. Then if we are centered in that, then we're secure in that. and We understand how that that affects us, so then our lives then can be lived through the power of the gospel, submitting to Christ in our lives, because we're secure in that. And so, so that's why we've called this centered, and you can see kind of in the art that there's a, the compass rose, and so it's everywhere we go, our center's still in Christ. And so last week we talked about this idea that, that faith needs to produce, precede any good works. That, that if we don't have faith, if, we haven't, if God hasn't intervened in our lives and we don't truly know what good works look like because at the root of everything that we do, apart from God, is this selfish desire or it somehow is going to be brought back to us, whether it's exalting us or bringing glory to us or just making it easier in life. Our choices and what we do are going to be, be based on ourselves. And so we need faith to precede those good works for them to truly be good works. And, and we, we saw how that works out. And then today we see that Paul really outlines this struggle then that we see. If we are centered in Christ, we have uh, these, this struggle that we have. It's, it's this spirit-centered struggle that we see because we have two natures at war within us. We have the natures then that are of the flesh and of the world. And then we have the nature that is of the spirit because we're united with Christ. And so we find ourselves at this struggle then today. So if you will, Galatians 5, we're going to read verses 16 through the end of the chapter, verse 26, and then we'll um, unpack what, what God has for us here. So if you'll follow along in Galatians 5, verse 16, Paul says, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. If you will pray with me as we ask the the Spirit to guide us through this today. Father, we, we, we come before you again just acknowledging that that without your help, that, that we won't see truth as you've given it to us. Without your help, that I won't proclaim truth as you've given it, God. And we just pray now that your spirit would be evident. God, that you would, that, that the things that, that I proclaim would be your truth, God, and the things that we take into our hearts would be your truth as you've given them to us. And we just pray that, that we submit to you. God, and we just thank you that you didn't leave us Alone, That you pulled us out of that pit, yet you gave us the ability to live by your Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so what we see is that, that not only Paul divides his writings with, with doctrine or theology, and that's a practical application, what also happens is when he describes this freedom we have in Christ, like he did in, in verses 1 and 13, he's showing us these of chapter five, he's shown us this freedom we have in Christ. For freedom, we've been set free. If you were called to freedom, and he, he shows us this freedom, but then what he does is he then gives us this picture of how easy that freedom can be lost, or how easy that freedom can be used for something else. So he doesn't want us just to get in this idea of that we're free and then we fall in just to living how we want to because we're free. But he warns us that you have to protect that freedom. And this really, this idea isn't that so far from us right here because we realize being in a town located right by Fort Hood that we understand that freedom's not free. That that freedom is something you have to continually work at to ensure it. And so we're constantly reminded of this idea in our lives as we see the action of the army around us, but we seldom take that into place in our spiritual life. That this freedom we have in Christ, we, we have to work at it, we have to protect it we have to consciously be making choices to maintain that freedom or we'll lose it. And so as we read this passage today, we see that through the Spirit we can maintain that freedom. It's through the Spirit that we do that. So we won't fall into using it, this, this freedom in illegitimate ways for illegitimate gains, but we'll actually see and realize, as, as John Stott says, that we can enjoy Christian liberty because of the Holy Spirit. That when we see the Holy Spirit work in our lives, that's when we truly enjoy Christian liberty liberty, this freedom at work. And so what we see today in this passage we read is that that Paul's framed rather nicely this spirit-centered struggle that we have. And it's this struggle that's universal in its appearance, but it's unique in its application in our lives, that we all struggle, that's universal, we all have this struggle at war within us, but how that applies to our life and how that struggle manifests itself in our life is unique to individual people. And so if we're going to see that, and if we're going to move past that, we need to, to clarify this struggle. And, and, and through this clarification and understanding what this struggle is, we really realize how then we're conquered by it and how we can then conquer the struggle or overcome it. And, and really, we, we do this in our life. I, I like watching soccer. Keaton is, is really into soccer right now. And, and I like watching it. We'll watch it every now and then, watch it with him. I'm trying to, to show him how professional plays soccer, so that he might then take that. But, but the more we talk about it, the more I realize I really don't know everything about it. And so as I'm explaining it, I, I can't completely clarify what's happening because I don't have a total grasp of it myself. I don't have this clear picture of what's happening all the time, and so then I can't give him a clear picture of it. It's the same thing that we have in this struggle. If we don't clarify this struggle and we don't understand what it really is, then we, there's going to be gaps and holes in our understanding of it, and that's going to lead to deficiencies as we live our lives. And so what we see in verses 16 through 18, that we see that we need to, Paul's clarifying this struggle. It's a, a great clarifying statement in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit and you will not, not gratify God. The desires of the flesh. He's clarifying this and saying, here's your freedom and here's how to not use it illegitimately. He reminds us that we need to walk by the Spirit. So we use our calling in a manner worthy that we've received it. That's why he says in Ephesians 4.1. He says that he urges you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that you've received. And the same thing here is that walk through the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of flesh. So if we're going to indeed walk in that manner, that's not gratifying the flesh, that's not giving in to these desires, we must clearly understand the struggle that we're in. And so to do that, you first have to ask yourself, is there a struggle within you? you? Do you really see a struggle in your life? As you're living your life, do you see a struggle between what God tells us to live like in the gospel and how we actually live our lives? Is there actually a struggle? Because if there's not, you got to go that first because if faith precedes good works, then faith precedes the struggle because we don't understand that there's a different way to live our life apart from God. So if there's not a struggle within us, then we need to deal with that first. And we need to see the gospel that says we're dead in our trespasses and sin. And we submit to that. Because if there's a struggle, we know that we're living by the Spirit. Why? Because we see the difference in our life prior to Christ, being united with Christ, and then after. And so then what is that struggle between? What does Paul tells us? And thankfully, he, he, he recognizes that that's the next step, right? He, he's very logical in that. He's like, okay, walk by the Spirit, and you'll not, desire, you'll not gratify the desires of your flesh. And he goes, okay, so here's why. It says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. That's the struggle. He just clarified the struggle. So what he does is he says, okay, it's between two wills. The will of the flesh and the will of the spirit. So the flesh on one side that's drawing our, our gaze and, and, and our attention, that it's, it, it's pulling us that way. But then on the other side, if we're united with Christ, we have his spirit within us. And so that the, the spirit then is pulling us that way. And so we see this clearly defined struggle between two wills. And it's the, the two opposite extremes of that. It's the desires of the flesh, our sinful nature, and then the desires of the flesh of the spirit. And and really we see this all the time. We see this all the time that we need to understand what we're talking about in order to truly understand it. And that it started making me think that when we first moved moved over here, um, we, we were surrounded by soldiers. And so we would start talking to them out front and doing all that. And I, I didn't understand half of what they were saying. Because apparently the army speaks in acronyms. And if you don't, sometimes they don't even know what acronyms are, right? They don't, they don't know what that means. And so I was thinking about this, and I, I found this picture. These are like some common, apparently, acronyms. I know two of them. I thought I was doing good, apparently, according to this. I don't know. Some of you might know them better then, and you can tell me afterwards. I'd like to learn. Okay? But, but we have, have to clarify what's happening in these conversations, or I just result to laughing when they laugh. Because I think that's when you're supposed to, right? I don't know what's going on. So if they laugh, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's great. I have no idea what that means. Because they're talking about all this. And that's the first thing they say. They start using acronyms. The first thing I ever hear anyone say is, what's your MOS? I'm like, why can't they just say what it is? Right? Because then we all get to know. But that's what we need to do with our lives. We need to clarify that struggle within us. We need to see exactly what it is so that we can then live within that struggle, and we can see how we can overcome that struggle. If we truly see this struggle, or if we truly clarify what this struggle is begin with, this desires of the flesh, or our sinful nation, or the desires of our spirit, or the Holy Spirit, then we can truly understand that. And so when Paul says these desires of the flesh, he's, he's using the word, uh, the Greek word sarx, which, which basically means, um, to reveal an aspect that's dominated by sin. He's talking about our sinful nature. He's not talking about our, our literal flesh. He's talking about the sinful nature that we have. He's, he's, he's saying that. And then when he talks about these desires, it's this word epithumia. And it, it, it basically, it's this lust or a craving. And so what he's saying there is that we have this, these desires, these, this lust or these cravings for the things that, that are dominated by our sinful flesh on one side. But then we have the desires of the flesh. And so we see that these desires of the flesh then, or as Tim Keller says, these over-desires. Because not everything is necessarily bad. Food can be good until there's an over-desire for it. And that's when we see these desires, these lustful attitudes changing the way things are, or this old self, this human nature that comes in. And then we see the desires of this new self. That's so what Paul says in 2 Corinthians that, that if you're in Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. These new desires come. But what's interesting is you look in, in the text here, these desires aren't these lustful desires because they're of the Spirit. And, and God's Spirit can't have inappropriate desires for something because that's outside His character. So if the desires of the, 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 desires of the Spirit are pure because they come from God, and so not only are there two opposite, but there's there's good desires versus these these inordinate or lustful desires. And that's the struggle we look at. That's the struggle we live in. And as Christians, we have this continuing struggle because we have these two natures that are continually at war with us. Within us, we're continually drawn to the things of the world. We continually see the desires of the flesh or our, our old nature. We want to draw us to them. But then when we, when we see that, we see the Spirit pulling us towards its desire. And so when we look at that, two things can happen. You can either be conquered by this struggle or you can conquer it. You can either submit to the Spirit and therefore overcome this struggle or conquer this struggle. You can submit to your fleshly nature, your old self, these lustful desires of your sinful nature, and then be conquered by the struggle. And so first, I want to look at this idea that we're conquered by the struggle. If you look at, look at verses 19 and 21, he gives us a list here. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. So you see right there, that we, we have this idea that we think that we can kind of just get away with it. And he's saying, no, they're evident. You can see in people's lives which nature they're being drawn towards. It's evident. It's out there. It's visible. You can see it. And so what does he say? He says, they're evident okay sexual immorality impurity sensuality idolatry sorcery enmity strife jealousy fits of anger rivalries dissensions divisions envy drunkenness orgies and what things like these so we can't that takes that things like this takes out our ability to look at this and say well i don't have any of those so i'm good he said no anything like this this isn't an exhaustive list this is like this is just what came on the top of his mind i don't know if that's maybe because this is what he's seen in this church and so he's listing those. He says it's the things like these. It's these desires of our old self. It's these desires of the old self. And when those are evident in our lives, that's when we're being conquered by the struggle. Because our life is defined by that. But another thing we need to look at in this list is it, is it encompasses everyone. You can see that there's both items that you could say are both for religious people. Selfishness, envy, jealousy, and then you can see ones for non-religious or irreligious people, the immorality, the drunkenness. You can, you can, you can go on both avenues. It's not just these are the list for bad people. No, that you can, there, there's not many people that are jealous that are outside of religion because they just get what they want, right? Just go do what you want. So I can be jealous of something, you just go do what you want. So it's really a list for someone that's actually within religion. Because then you see what people want and you desire it, but you you try to do the right things and you don't allow yourself that. So jealousy springs up or envy springs up. So what happens then is we see that because this list encompasses both sides, that there's no distinction in these desires or this evidence of the sinful flesh in us. We like to compartmentalize sin and say that these are worse than others. But if we look at this list, everything is the same. We can't just simply say, well, that's worse than what I do because it's more evident. No, they're all evident. And if they're all evident, then you're ruled by that sinful nature. This prevents anyone from being exempt of the consequences of these actions. We can't say that there's different levels because they're all evidences of the sinful nature, this this flesh that's dominated by our sinful nature they're all evidences of that. And while they might manifest differently or apply to our lives differently, it doesn't make anyone more or less responsible for those actions or more or less condemned because of them. And we, and we see that, that we like to do that, right? On one hand, what happens then, we see a list like this. And we see that we're starting to be conquered by the struggle so what do you fight back right if something's trying to to entangle you or capture you what do you do you fight back right if you've ever I I used to raise um, pigs back in the day which might be odd if you know me now but but I did I showed showed hogs and stuff like that but what I always hated was when you first started to to get them ready for the show you'd have to walk them well they you get out of the pen and there's freedom. And so they would just run crazy. And what did you do? You freaking chased it, right? And then if you ever got close to it and, and you ever got cornered in there, well, did it just take off running? It was the same thing. It's fighting for its freedom. And so when we see these lists then come up that Paul's saying is look at these evidences, what happens is when you start realizing that, then you start to, you start to fight against it. And so what do we do? On one hand, we have the, the, the irreligious person or the, the person that's outside of religion, they start pointing at the religious people and saying, well, look, they're not even following their own rules. They're not even doing what they say. And what that is is just a way to, to, to lighten the load of their struggle by pointing out the flaws of someone else. And they say, they don't even follow their own rules. Why do I even have to do that? Why should I even listen to them? Look at them, they don't even, they're not even describing themselves when they say how we should live. But that's not a way to do anything but relieve the burden that they have because of these evidences in their lives. But then on the other hand, the religious person looks at those outside the church and says, can you believe how they live? Look at those things that they do. Can you believe that? And so by pointing out how bad those people are, you're really ignoring the evidence in your own life. And so what we see here is that on both ways, when we start to see these evidences, and we start to see that we're being conquered by this struggle, we, we, we try to get out of that by pointing the finger at someone else. Saying, look at that person. They don't live by what they say. Or can you believe what they do? How, how can they live like that? Do they not realize how bad that is? In either way, all it is is simply a way for us to feel better at ourselves by relieving the burden that we see in our lives, and so we lash out somewhere else. If I can just make someone else's struggle look more or worse than mine, then I can somehow bear that. But we forget that that struggle then continually conquers us, and then we see our desires continually take us further and further away to where we're supposed to be. Tim Keller says that we're much better at noticing the works of someone else's sinful nature than we are at battling our own. When I read that, it it took me a second because I see that in myself. And I can notice where people have messed up in my mind. But notice he doesn't say that that we notice someone else's and we notice our own. That we're easy to notice someone else's instead of battling our own. Because it's a struggle to, to overcome that. It's easier to point it out than to actually affect a change in your life by submitting to the Spirit. So what we see then at the end of this is a way that we can be conquering the struggle. At the end of this passage, we, we begin to conquer the struggle as we overcome the struggle when we rest on the Spirit in our lives. In verse 25, what does he say? He says to keep in step with the Spirit. It so says keep in step with the Spirit. Some of, your, some of your Bibles might say walk by Spirit there. There's, there's been changes in, in some versions. And then in verse 18, he said that if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. If you're led by the Spirit. So what does that actually mean? How do we keep in step with the Spirit? Or how are we led by the Spirit? What does that look like? What does that mean? Because if we're supposed to be conquering this struggle that we see by the Spirit, what does that mean? How does that, what does that look like? And what he's showing here is that first we have to change and turn from our fleshly desires, and then we have to grow in that. There's two steps of conquering this struggle. And we, first, and we must not think that we can only do one without the other. They go hand in hand. And so first we see, like he says in verse 18, that, that we need to be led by the Spirit. We need to be led by the Spirit. And that's really what he's saying there is that if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And so what he's talking about there is the change that happens when we're united in Christ. When we hear the gospel call and we respond in our words, in our actions, we're new creations. That's what he's talking about. These these new creations who are what? Led by the Spirit. It's this change that's brought upon us by the Spirit in our lives. And two times in Ezekiel, in chapter 11, In chapter 36, we see God changing a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. And how does he do that? He says that he's going to put a new spirit within you. This new spirit is what you feel because it immediately begins to reveal this struggle. And how do you know that that change has taken place in your life? Because you feel it. You experience all of a sudden that, why do I... What do I realize that I shouldn't be doing this? Even if I'm doing them, why? there's this idea that maybe I shouldn't be doing that. Well, where's that idea come from? It's the Spirit leading you. It's this change that has been affected in your life. The Spirit is a, alive in us. It's not this abstract idea. The Spirit's part of the trinity of God, the triune nature of God. It's not this idea that we say to say that we're led. It's an active person within us, guiding us. But even then, to be led by the Spirit, it's not simply obedience or merely giving up things. We like to say, well, I just won't do that, right? I remember I went to a youth conference when I was in in high school, and 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 then they told us that if you had all this secular music, that it was just going to lead you astray. So what did we do? We broke CDs. Well, actually, some of them, we tore tapes, right? Because you can't have that stuff, right? You can't have that stuff in your life because you're going to be following those desires. But did it work? No, we just paid more money because we bought them all again, and It just costs us more money, but it's this idea that just to be led by the Spirit is just simply giving something up. It's not that. What it is is seeing the same things of the world in the same way that the Spirit sees them, the same way that God sees them. And to do that, we must have that change in our lives. And we do that through worship. That's why we say we want to integrate the gospel into lives through mission, with worship. Because when we truly worship, when we're truly in this worshipful attitude, we're seeing the things of the world as God sees them, and we're seeing Christ who He is. Because that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit does one thing. It glorifies Christ. It brings glory to Him. And it does that in our lives by leading us and changing us so that we see the things of the world in the same light, so then we bring glory to who deserves it, Christ, rather than the things of the world. And so we see that this will happen and we'll grow into our understanding of worship through the Spirit. And so we, then what we do is we see that we're keeping in step by the Spirit. We're allowing every part of our lives to be captivated by the Spirit. i got a, I got a picture here of some, a cotton farm. You can't really tell. I should have blown up a little more. But what you see here is there's a little depression. You can't tell that big. If you look on the computer screen, small. you can see that there's a little depression there, which tells me it's probably not in West Texas where I grew up. That's all I grew up around, this cotton farm. And, and spraying cotton, there's never any room to turn around. You have to get on the highway, and then you get in trouble when it's hot because you tear up the, the highway with the tractor tires. But why? Because they take every inch of the land to grow this crop. Every inch of it. You can see up there how close it goes to the road. Because if they leave any part of it, that's less crop that will be produced. That's less money that will then come back to them. And the same thing is what we need to do in our lives. We need to continually plow the edges of our sinful nature to allow more room for the Spirit's growth within us. We have to go all the way to the edges. We can't just give a little part. We need to maximize the Spirit's effect in our lives. How? By keeping in step with the Spirit. This idea that, the, that we have this different nature. And so we keep in the step by the Spirit, by allowing the Spirit to direct us. To show us where our desires are at conflict, and then we can submit to the Spirit in that. And what we, we see here and what Paul shows here, that when we do that, when we keep in line with the Spirit, not just simply led, but we continually do that, what happens? Evidence happens. Just as evidence of the sinful nature happens, so does evidence of the Spirit happens. And that's what he says. But what The fruit of the Spirit's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there's no law. There's no law because they're of God. Because Christ fulfilled the law. So these fruits of the Spirit aren't fleshly desires, they're of the Spirit. So there's no law against them because there's no need, because the law contained life. There's no need to contain the Spirit because it's free. And we see that. John Stott tells us, um, when he's talking about the, the fruit of the Spirit, he, he, he talks about it in a way I've never understood. And I, I thought, I almost got distracted by it as I was studying for this, because I've never seen it this way. But what he says is the primary direction of love, joy, and peace is Godward. Of patience, kindness, and goodness is manward. And of faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control is self So what he does, he doesn't just simply take this list, but he shows how these manifestations, these evidences of the Spirit, actually point us to a life that's created how we're supposed to be. And so when we look at it that way, we see that there's purpose within the fruits of the Spirit. They're not just this abstract checklist. It's showing us where our life is pointing. Because when we are led by the Spirit and we see this new change in us and we start keeping with the Spirit, submitting to the Spirit, we see that that love is only found through God. That we love because He first loved us. So this this love that we talk about here, it's a love towards God because that's where true love is. And when we understand that, we see that our greatest joy is found in God. The, The things of the world compare nothing to that of God, so we have joy and our joy is focused on Him because that's where we find everything. And then we realize that and we hear the gospel. We realize that we're at peace with God. We're no longer waging war against Him in a rebellion. Why? Because we have the Spirit within us. We've been united with Christ. We're not in our sin and trespasses. We're in Christ's righteousness. We're at peace with God. And then that peace then shows how we can live life. We also see that our relationships are changed when we keep in stuff with the Spirit. We can now display patience and kindness with others even when they don't deserve it or if they're actively against us. And that goes in line with everything we always say. I always say that people aren't lovable, are they? No. So how can we love them? Because we truly see that we can be patient and kindness because we understand that the fruit of the Spirit is that and that they are the exact same way we were to God, yet what? He sent His Son for us. They don't deserve it, yet we can have patience with people. We can show kindness. Also, when our words are affected, we see this the goodness of the spirit comes out in how we speak to one another. And so we see that, that all three of those patience, kindness, and goodness, show how we our relationships are changed when we keep in step with the spirit. It changes how we interact with each other, but it also changes how we view ourselves. Faithfulness and gentleness, those are both characteristics that you could say that were in Christ. He was faithful to the Father. He submitted to the Father. And he was gentle. He, he called sin, sin, yet he comforted people. We see that, the biggest of the woman on the well. She was there at noonday. Why? So she, most likely because she would be ridiculed any other time. You don't go to the well at the heat of the day. He wasn't supposed to talk to her because she's a woman and a Samaritan. But What happened? He still talked to her. He still acknowledged her in gentleness, but he still called out her sin. So you can do that in a way that is Christ-like, and we do that to ourselves as well when we see these natures. And to be able to do that, there has to be some level of self-control. And So we see that, that the, the fruits of the Spirit enter, are, are pointing towards God because that's where we find true love, joy, and peace. And we can have patience and kindness And goodness, when it comes to our relationships, because the Spirit, we're keeping in step with the Spirit. It's showing us how things actually are. It's glorifying Christ, and we glorify Christ. We see people in a different manner. And then ultimately, we see ourselves. We can can be secure in our identity. Why? When we're centered on Christ, because when we're centered on Christ, we're going to be keeping in step with the Spirit. And we're going to know that we have this self-control that's going to lead to faithfulness and gentleness. And then they're going to be evident in our lives. So then the fruit of the Spirit aren't just this random thing that counteracts and it's opposite of the flesh. It's actually evidence of the growth or sanctification that the Spirit gives us in our lives. Only a Spirit-filled life will produce the fruit of the Spirit. And only a a person who belongs to Christ has the Spirit in them and the ability to crucify their flesh. And we see that in that, that language, this crucify the flesh. Crucifixion wasn't A a quick death. It was a slow, methodical, torturous one. And so when he says that we're in the Spirit, we've crucified, we're in Christ, we've crucified the desires of our flesh, that's a slow, methodical, but decisive way of overcoming who we are. And so we see then that we can conquer that struggle because we truly place things on the cross. We crucify those desires because we're led by the Spirit. We've been changed and then we keep in step by the Spirit by submitting daily how we live our lives. And we do that, we see that Christ overcame the flesh once and for all on the cross, so that through Him we're justified. We're declared not guilty because of Christ on the cross. But then we see the Spirit within us helps us overcome the flesh daily throughout our lives so that through the Spirit, we're sanctified. We're changed closer and closer into the image of Christ. And so our lives become more and more of a way that we, Christ is glorified through that. And only when we see that interaction, by the way of the gospel, we truly be able to understand the struggle that we're in. And we truly, and when we clearly see that struggle, we can understand that... It's only through the Spirit that we're able to actually conquer that struggle. And when we truly conquer that struggle, we can see that then our life has its true purpose, That's one to bring glory to God, because that's where it belongs. Let's pray.